And hello and welcome to this week's edition of Novak Now here on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm Jake Novak. And boy, it, it certainly isn't uh, too hard to guess what I'm going to talk about today. Um, but I will add an extra topic to the obvious, uh, the obvious one, which of course is the decision by the State of Israel to reject and cancel the, the trip uh, that was planned to Israel by Representatives Rashida Tlaib and Congresswoman Omar, Ilan Omar and a few other hangers-on who would have gone with them. And again, nixing the trip uh, that they had sent. They sent the itinerary just a few days before the decision by the State of Israel to to bar that trip and to nix that trip. You'll notice I'm not saying bar them or ban them personally, because they are not banned and barred personally. Had they come with the Democrat and Republican delegation that was in Israel, actually this is past week, they would have been welcomed, as we now officially know, and we knew that all along. And they were, of course, Rashida Tlaib was allowed to come in as long as she didn't take a political protest movement itinerary with her uh, to visit her grandmother. That she And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But it's very important. And I had an argument about this in the newsroom about it. And, you know, it was hopeless uh, considering where I was coming from and where other people were, were thinking. But I made a point. I, I did not want to see headlines or banners on the air that said, Omar and Talib banned from Israel because they're not banned from Israel. Their trip was nixed. And we'll talk about why that trip was nixed and why it was important for us to pay attention to the itinerary of that trip for a number of different reasons. So first off, if you're going around saying, hey, they banned these two from coming, it's not true. It's not accurate to say that. It's not truthful and it's not accurate. And I know that there are some people listening, maybe not to this particular program, but but if they heard me saying it now, they would get very upset and say, oh, no, it's not true. They, they really were banned. They were not banned. That trip was planned. That trip that included all kinds of propaganda stops. Uh, you know, folks, they weren't going to Ein Gedi and the Dead Sea and Yad Vashem and all these places or any of the tech centers in Israel where, that Israel can be proud of. They were going to go to some of the worst places in the territories, which are really bad and really dangerous because of the Palestinian Authority's neglect and corruption, because of Hamas's uh, neglect and corruption, and worse than that, deliberate attacks on their own people. And they would have said, this is Israel's fault. And it would have been six or seven days worth of that nonsense. So for anyone to say, well, uh, they were banned, uh, their trip was banned, their trip was nixed. And it's important for people to use that terminology if they want to be accurate. If they don't want to be accurate and they want to pile on Israel and they want to support you, 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 Talib and Omar, they want, then you know, go for it, but you're not being accurate and you're not being fair to the state of Israel, and you're not being fair to the United States. So that's one thing I, I, you know, I, to get very, very clear. But before I go into the further discussion of this, I want to talk about where I'm coming from here and where I would hope anybody here who really, truly supports the state of Israel, and I think that there are a lot more Jews in the United States who support the state of Israel than some of us in our darker-feeling times realize. I think that there are people who really want to support the, Israel, the state of Israel, certainly among the Jewish people, but of course, certainly among the evangelical Christian community and in the wider Christian community as well. But I want to talk about a position here that, that I would hope almost can, all of us can agree on, and, and, and I want to do that from here so you know where I'm coming from, and that is this. I don't think it was a slam-dunk, easy decision either way for the state of Israel. I know that a lot of people listening think it was absolutely the right thing that Israel did. No question, stop these people who hate Israel from coming. And I hear that. I hear that argument very strongly. And I'm inclined in a lot of ways to agree with it. But I also hear the argument that denying this trip 
denying this itinerary was bound to give Israel some terrible, terrible publicity. And it's been a few days of it now. It's, I, I think it's certainly subsided a little bit from where it was the other day, but it's still pretty strong. It's still pretty strong. And I absolutely hear the argument from people who say, eh, they should have just let them in. I get it. The point I want to make here, and I want this to be very clear, the point I want to make this here is that I don't think any sane person can honestly say it was a super easy slam dunk decision. No way could they have not let them in, or no way could they, ha- could they have let them in. And because of that, you have Israel that we supposedly love. And I think everyone, just about everyone listening to this does love Israel and does love the state of Israel and supports the state of Israel. And they had two very difficult choices here. They had, they had a dilemma. They had two very difficult choices here, and they chose one. Israel chose one. And like you would do with a loved one when faced with an, a very, very difficult decision who makes a decision, first of all, doesn't just like delay and delay, makes a decision, and you know that it was not easy to make, then you don't publicly bash the decision. Do you understand what I'm saying here? If you have a loved one who has two very difficult choices to make, one or the other, and they make one, And it's not like they've made a stupid decision that's obvious to everyone, and it's not like they've made necessarily a wise decision that's obvious for everyone. They need your support when when that happens. Israel needs our support right now. So publicly, I would urge, and this includes social media, folks. Even if you're on a closed group, it's public. If you're going to publicly say anything about Israel, just say, I support their decision. If you don't really agree with the decision, that's fine. Keep it to yourself. Keep it to yourself right now. Say you support Israel. Understand that this was a tough choice. That no matter how much you think it was a slam-dunk obvious decision, it wasn't. It wasn't an obvious decision for it to make. It was hard. It was a hard decision. Going the other way would have been very difficult also. Because let me tell you about this itinerary, folks. They were going to go to the territory. They were going to go to Gaza. They weren't going to go to that nice mall that we know that Gaza has. They weren't going to go to the beach. They were going to go to some of the poorest, most destitute refugee areas which again are the Gazans' fault, are the Hamas's fault, and the, countries, the other Arab countries for many years' fault. It's not the Israelis' fault. The Israelis have offered these people an opportunity for autonomy and economic prosperity time after time after time. That's the topic of another program. I've talked about it, and most of you listening know what I'm talking about. But that's not the way the news cameras who are both filled with people, run by people who hate Israel and are, or are ignorant or both are going to take it. It's going to look bad for Israel. And God knows how many photo ops there would have been with bad pictures on there. I heard a lot of people saying over the weekend, again, not following my advice, which is publicly support Israel in a tough decision. Don't tell me your reasons why you disagree. For, for, no matter how well-intentioned you are, I don't want to hear it. And I don't think Israel cares. I mean, really. If you're the, if you're the leader of some community, and you're going to, who cares what you think? You're not, you're not in Israel, and you're not the leader there, and, you're not, and you don't have to deal with the ramifications. But they weren't going to the Technion. They weren't going to the Israel that we all know and love, folks. It wasn't like, oh, we have nothing to hide. Uh, Israel, of course, doesn't have anything to hide. The point is, is that they weren't going to, the, to Israel. They were going to the territories that are administered and are kept destitute and dangerous and full of misery by the Palestinian Authority and Hamas and many other countries who have a vested interest in making the, the Palestinian life miserable so they can make Israel look bad. Imagine that. Imagine making human beings live a miserable life generation after generation just so you can get bad PR on a country. I mean, really, that is really the height of some serious sociopathic and psychopathic behavior, but that's what we've got in this world right now. 
So again, I, I just would really, really argue that we must, we must publicly support this decision. It was a tough decision for Israel to make. Understand that. Understand that. And if you don't, then I don't think you quite understand this. You're clearly not really up enough on the, on the facts on the ground there. And that's okay. You know, you're, you're not alone, there's a, but there's a lot of opportunities for you to get educated on it, and I would like you to do that. Now, again, this, organ, this trip was, was eventually funded by and organized by a group called Michtach, which just a few years ago promoted something on their website about the literal blood libel. When, when President Obama hosted a Seder at the White House, they put something on their website saying, gee, I can't believe President Obama's doing this. I mean, everyone knows the Jews put you know, Christian and non-Jewish blood of boys in the matzah. I mean, they literally put this on their website. This is the organization that was organizing the trip. My God. My God. I mean, even if you think Israel should have invited these folks to come in, can't you say something about that and say, oh my God, this is a horrible thing. This is going to be six or seven days or however, however, however many days of torture for the Israeli people and the Jewish people all over the world as this group you know, ferries these folks, these folks around. Now, I, I'll give Mithtach the, accurate, the, the factual notation that I guess a few, some, at some point later they apologized for that post. But that's like you know, killing somebody and then apologizing. I mean, really, there's some, there's some, you can't really apologize for something like that and make it all better. They certainly haven't done anything to really erase that other than literally erase it. They haven't done anything to erase the memory of that. So, look, folks, this was going to be a torturous time, a torture, actually, say torturous-some, torturous means something else. This would have been a torturous time for Jews and, and people who support Israel all, for however many days this trip was going to be. And it was going to be tough. It was going to be tough. So I think that we support Israel's decision no matter how much smarter we think we are. And, and I have to say, this is an affliction that Jewish people have, especially Jewish men. Uh, who, you know, that includes myself, so I'm going to be a little bit... Uh, I'm going I'm to sound like some of these Democratic candidates for president, the white men who go up and all they do is talk about how bad white men are. Uh, I'm going to talk about something that is a characteristic that a lot of Jewish men have, and let's be honest, we have it. We, we do like the know-it-all kind of persona. We do take it quite often. I, I'm as guilty of it as anybody else, and we love to be the smartest little boy in the class, and sometimes that becomes more important to us than right and wrong. So I, I'm seeing a lot of people getting up there, again, mostly men saying, well, you know, I, I'm smarter than Israel because they, I, I know that they should have invited them and this is how it would have gone. You know what? Nobody cares. Stand up and be a, decent, be a decent supporter of Israel. Be a decent family member for your fellow Jews in Israel and just support what the state does. You don't have to go on and on and on and explain why you think it was a great idea if you don't think so. Just say, I support Israel. I, say, I know Israel had a tough decision to make. They made that decision. I support Israel in this tough time. That's what you do publicly. That's what you do publicly. I don't want to hear how smart you are and how, how much better you think you are than a state of Israel that deals every day with life and death kinds of decisions. And, me, and, and speaking of life and death, one of the places that Omar and Talib and that group wanted to go to was the Temple Mount. And even though Talib and Omar are Muslims, anytime very famous and celebrity and political people go to the Temple Mount, violence almost always follows. And I don't know who would have instigated the violence. Nine times out of 10, or 99 times out of 100, the violence is instigated by, by Muslims at the Temple Mount for whatever insult they think they're, they're, they think they're absorbing. I don't know if they would have started something there or if 
or if they would have tried to start a, a protest or something, not against Omar and Talib, but maybe use their visit as some kind of symbolic protest and then started clashing with Israeli troops there. I can tell you it would have been very, very likely it would have been an ugly situation. Somebody may have died, by the way. That's another thing I think people should understand here who are like, well, it wouldn't have been any problem for Israel to bring those two people in. It would have just been bad PR. Yeah, tell that to the people who have died when celebrities and other people come and make appearances in Israel or politicians do stuff like that, and then there's six days of rioting and people get killed. Again, you don't have to agree with every aspect of the decision and tell me why that. I just want you to say, I support Israel. They made this tough decision. Hey, there were some concerns here. What about security for Ilan Omar and, and Rashida Tlaib? Would have Israel have had to have provided that? Would have been given by Hamas? Who was providing the security for this trip? Does that mean that armed Hamas and PA people would have been going through Jewish area? Who knows? So again, there's just so many considerations that I think people have not taken into account when they do this. And again, they weren't going to see the Israel that we know. They were going to go to Ben-Gurion Airport and go right to the territories. And then the closest thing they would have come to a Jewish area would have been the Temple Mount, which of course is our holiest site in our Jewish religion, but we allow the, the Muslim wakfah to control it in an act of goodwill, which has not really produced a lot of goodwill for Israel, although I, I don't, again, another tough decision that I can't, <laughs> I can't make for them, and I support that decision because it's, it's not so easy for to make. It was a tough decision. I get it. And anyway, it, it, it's, it, it's just a mess. And anyone who's making any statement about this that doesn't include, that doesn't really make the point, I support Israel in this situation, then I, I have to question either your your, your knowledge of the facts on the ground, your knowledge of what this trip was about, or, yeah, I have, to, I have to question, are you really that supportive of Israel, or are you someone who just wants to show how smart he is or she is? Uh, but most of the time, he, because this, this is a man thing. I'm sorry. I know there's plenty of know-it-all women. I got, I got, them, I, I got plenty of them in my life, uh, not in my immediate family. But the thing is, is that uh, I'm not saying it's all men, but it, it is a Jewish man thing. One of the great things, by the way, about going to Israel when I do visit is, you know, listen, even here in New York and most of the places where I work in the secular world, uh, people come to me as a source for a lot of Jewish and Israeli knowledge, historical knowledge and all Jewish, just because they know I've been educated in all of that. And the first thing that happens to somebody like me when they get to Israel is you realize you're kind of a dime a dozen, <laughs> that everyone there is an expert on these kinds of things, and, and you're no longer, like, intellectually so special. And I have to say, it's a good thing. It's a good thing to feel humbled in that way. That's when you really start getting smart, by the way, when you get humbled. When you realize you were wrong about something or you didn't know enough about a particular subject, that's when you start to learn. I mean, just by definition, that's when you start to learn. And I think that there are a lot of Jewish men, um, particularly those who are enemies of the state of Israel, like Noam Chomsky uh, and a few others out there, who I think, I think the root of their hatred of Israel is exactly what I just described. Here in the States, they were smarty pants. Here in the States, they were really important. They get to Israel, you know, as, as a Jewish leader, they get to Israel and they're like, yeah, whatever. You know, for example, pulpit rabbis. Pulpit rabbis in America, are, are, in their communities, are kind of important for the most part. In Israel, you know, the idea of being a rabbi of a shul is like, uh, okay. <laughs> it's, not as, it's not as big a deal, you know. Um, and I think a lot of rabbis who are pulpit rabbis and are kind of big shots, if they are here in the United States, when they get to Israel, it's a, it's a humbling point. And hopefully for them, it's a, you know, they take it in a good way and they, and they learn something from it and they get something out of it. But, you know, I think we all know a few that don't. A few that don't. Um, so it's just one of those things that I think 
you get a lot of people out there who think they're smarter than everybody else, or they think they're very, very smart, and they can't wait to tell you how much smarter they, they are about a bunch of things. And again, I'm guilty of this a lot of the time, but when I do it, I try to make it about stuff that I'm not literally married to and devoted to. You know, you're not going to go on Facebook, and you're not going to go on Twitter and talk about how your, your kid had a tough decision to make on a test. It was, it was a multiple choice test. It was A or D, and they both were kind of close, and your kid chose D, and you're like, well, what a dump, what a dope. I, I knew better that it was A. You know, support your kid. They made a decision. They studied. They worked hard. They tried to do the right thing, and you support your child. You support your spouse. You don't talk about how much smarter you are than, about your, than your spouse when, it, you know, when a decision had to be made about something, a tough decision. You know, if you want to make a sort of tongue-in-cheek kind of joke, although I wouldn't recommend this either, about how, oh, uh, your wife turned left and, uh, into a one-way street one day because she wasn't paying attention, thank God she's okay, ha, ha, ha. Uh, all right, I don't really recommend that either, but that's different. That's different from, you know what, there was three seconds left on the, on the yellow light, we were in a tough intersection, we were in a terrible hurry, and she didn't get through that red light before the camera went off, and that cost me 80 bucks. What a jerk. You wouldn't say that. You say, listen, she was in a tough decision. I support you. I'm sorry that she did that. It wasn't obvious what to do one way or the other. And she, she made her choice. And I support her because I love her and she's, my family, and she's in my family. And that's the way you have to think about these things going on in Israel right now. I know, I know it's hard for some people to do that because they feel like, you know, boy, I, I, I have to weigh in. And it's a Jewish thing. You know, we, we in the Jewish community, especially those from the, you know, the Mitnagin, Litvisha type uh, tradition, which, which is my tradition, you know, we're encouraged to be questioning, to be contradictory. I get that. But that's all fine and good in the, literally in an academic setting. In a yeshiva sh- setting, go for it. Challenge the Rebbe. You know, be respectful, but challenge the Rebbe. Challenge what, you, challenge what your chavar is saying. Go, go for it. But in public, when the state of Israel has to make a tough decision and it makes a decision, support it. Support it. If Israel had said, yeah, uh, when Talib and Omar get here, we're going to shoot them on sight. Yeah, you can publicly say you're against that. But that is obviously not what they said, and that obviously wasn't one of their choices. So be supportive. Be supportive in a tough situation. And that's, to me, open and shut case. That, that to me, is the only obvious move. And, you know, I had a similar, I had a similar feeling about this. And there's been, I know there's been a ton of other issues like this in, over the years, because this is already like six, seven, eight years ago. But when that Turkish-sponsored... Uh, uh, blockade-busting ship that was trying to you know, break the quasi-military uh, naval control that Israel has over the Gaza, the Gaza uh, shore, uh, and the Israelis decided to storm that ship and to take it over, and people got hurt and the whole thing, but because they felt that ship had some weapons on it, and apparently it did, and of course Israeli troops got hurt. I mean, the Israeli commandos who, who got on that ship you know, were attacked physically. And I remember a lot of people saying the same thing. Oh, that was so stupid. It was bad PR. Just let the ship get in there. And then maybe later, you, you know, again, it's a tough decision. Do you allow a ship that might have weapons and might be carrying all kinds of other problems with it onto the shores of Gaza? Or do you stop it before and take the bad PR for a day or two? Tough decision. If you don't think it's a tough decision, I don't think you're being fair. And, or I don't think you're knowledgeable enough of the facts on the ground, or in this case, on the water. And it was the same thing. I heard people telling, oh, it was such a dumb decision. And they were, you know what? Easy for you to say. What's better for you to say if you really support Israel, and the people who were saying that I do believe truly support the state of Israel, I said, you know, I don't care what you think. <laughs> this is a tough decision that Israel had to make. Support, the, support them. And even if you're not doing it publicly, by the way, what if privately you want to badmouth a family member, you know, a child or a spouse? That, that's also a stretch. Who are you, who you badmouthing them to? 
Now, you want to sit that child down and sit the spouse down and say, hey, I think you made a bad decision here. You know I'm here to support you, but here's a better thing that you could have done. That's totally different. That's in private, and that's constructive criticism. Going to another family member or another person in the community and complaining about the spouse or the child's decision, that's not cool either, even though that may not be done publicly. So again, we're, we're really coming to the same conclusion every single time, which is Israel had a tough decision to make. They made the decision. Choosing A or B was not slam dunk obvious, and anyone who says it was doesn't know what they're talking about, in my opinion. So support the decision, especially publicly. But, but again, even privately, ask yourself, who am I telling this to? Am I saying it to someone who I can really, really, I'm intimately close with? Okay, that's fine. Otherwise, I, I would keep your mouth shut. Or say what I just said and say, hey, look, this was a really tough decision to make. We're going to have to support Israel even more over the next few days than we usually do. That's what we're going to have to do. Now, I want to turn domestically for a second because there's a running narrative now which is no longer uh, just a minor annoyance. It's becoming a real, it's becoming a story and it's becoming a narrative that's really starting to frighten me. And that is, it's becoming abundantly clear right now that the Democrats and the news media are hell-bent on labeling and convincing, labeling this president and convincing the country that this president is a white supremacist, which is ludicrous on its face for a lot of reasons. But it's really, really scary because this is the kind of thing that gets people killed, or at the very least gets people so frightened and so agitated that they become unpredictably and potentially violent, but even if they don't get violent, they become unpredictably unstable. Now, this president says a lot of things. He tweets a lot of things. And when I say he says a lot of things, one of the things he does is, you know, just about every day, or at least every other day, he's on the tarmac or on the White House lawn talking for a half an hour completely off the cuff with the news media, which is before this presidency, something the news media used to beg for. They could, oh, they wish that the presidents weren't so rehearsed and wouldn't filibuster at press conferences, and they would just really tell us what they felt. Well, you're getting that with President Trump. Be careful what you wish for, because I think most of the people who are hearing it now in the news media don't want to hear from him at all. But they're getting an unvarnished, off-the-cuff news conference from this guy just about every day. And if you choose, he'll, he'll say 10, 20 different, make 10, 20 different points during those conferences. Now, somebody said, well, doesn't the news media have to report the news? So if the president says something that isn't really great or could be misconstrued as racist, don't they have to report it? Yeah, they got to report it, but they end up reporting only that. The news media has gone from summarizing events, because, you know, look, you have C-SPAN now and things like that. So if you really want to hear what the president says in its entirety, which I recommend, by the way, do that more often if you have the chance, rather than letting someone else edit it for you. But if the news media, look, we understand we, you can't read the whole text every time. You can't watch the whole thing every time. So, of course, we want the news media to summarize. But the news media doesn't summarize anymore. They, they analyze, <laughs> which is a nice way of saying they twist it and spin it the way they want you to believe. So the president says things that are against racism and against hatred, which he does almost all the time. But then he says something that could be misconstrued another way. They're not going to report the first thing. They're only going to re report the misconstrued, you know, misconstruable part or the vague part and then turn it into the crime of the century. Now, let me ask you a question. This is an important question for everyone to consider. Because we have this other issue, which is when the president does say something against racism, again, which is almost all the time, or does say something negative about white nationalists and, and neo-Nazis, and groups decide to pour cold water all over it. Well, he said that, yeah, but he didn't really mean it. Or he said that, and then he said something else. And they decide to just poo-poo the good things that he said. What's their goal? 
Is their goal to educate the world about how the president is truly a white supremacist? Well, I, I would say no. Because all you have to do is for them to say like, well, here's the whole transcript of what he said, you choose. They're not letting you choose. They're telling you what to think. Are these people out there to make people feel good? No. These are people who, if they're in the news media, they're hoping to get, well, they're probably also hoping to depose the president, but they're also probably hoping that, you know, real fear about potential race, racial hatred might get me a few more ratings points. Let's go for it. These are not people who have the best of the country at heart. I've told you before this a few times here on Novak Now on the Nachum Siegel Network. I've said this before. There are three major biases that really, really weaken our news media in this country, and I will say them in ascending order. The third major bias is the liberal political bias. A lot of people think it's the number one. To me, it's the third. I've seen that before. The second is the geographical bias. Most journalists now with any kind of clout are either in New York City or in Washington, D.C., and if you live in those two cities, you have a very, very limited worldview about a number of different things. And that's the second biggest bias, and it's very, very serious, and it's a big, big problem. But the number one new bias that the news media has in this country, and I think it's the number one bias that the news media has in almost every country, is the bias towards negative stories, is bias towards negativity, the bias towards fear. And it, it, it bleeds into almost everything, except for maybe sports, although it bleeds into there sometimes as well. So this is why, for example, when there's a snow flurry, the news media portray, the local news media portrays it like the storm of the century, and grandmothers are going to break their hips, and you better go and get your milk and bread at the supermarket, which somebody I saw on Twitter said, is someone going to make a milk sandwich? I don't know what the, which, why you need to have milk and bread. I'm joking. But the point is, is that this is the number one news media bias. So even if the news media weren't so predominantly liberal, and even if it weren't so predominantly filled with Washington types and New York types who like establishment-type politics, they still would be very likely to portray and to only focus on the negative things the president says or the things that be, could be construed as not good on racism or against white supremacy and neo-Nazism, because that's their, that's their goal. The goal is negativity. They figure they get more attention negativity, negative-wise. And don't, listen, I've been working in the news media for 25 years. I, I've had news directors, for example, in financial news, who regularly used to root for big Wall Street sell-offs because they knew that that would get more viewers than a steady rally in the markets. So, so please, if you're going to tell me that this isn't true, please at least be someone who's had as much experience in the news business as I have. And if you don't think it's true, uh, and you have that kind of experience, again, I have to question your, your, your paying attention. Are you paying attention? Because I don't think you are. So this is what's going on. I am very concerned about that because unlike the momentary fear that you get when they make a snow flurry into a blizzard that could kill you, this is really, really starting to bother me because this is actually is helping the white supremacists and the neo-Nazis. They're telling these marginal people out there that, hey, the president is your fan. And it's giving some of these people delusions of grandeur. And by the way, they don't, they're okay <coughs> with putting these people on the air. Last month, CNN put a white supremacist, not a former white supremacist, a, a, an existing white supremacist on the air. They put him on the air because they want to scare people. They want to make this about white supremacy. And now we know from a memo obtained from the New York Times that the executive editor has told everyone, hey, get off the Russia collusion story. That, that's not going anywhere anymore. Now we want you to do everything about white supremacism. So you, you're, you're finished scaring the country about the Russians, you know, somehow puppet mastering the president. We're done with that one. Now let's go to the other negative thing that we want to do, which is, uh, the, you know, the, you got a, a Klan member in the White House or something ridiculous like that. 
If you are intent on frightening people, which is what this business does, then you've got a doozy in this president because he talks a lot. And he says real things. Some of them are good and some of them are bad. And you can focus on all the bad stuff, leave the good stuff out for context, and then you're, you're off and rolling. You're off and rolling. But you know, that's not the America I want to live in. Now, I don't need to have Pollyanna or somebody smiling and telling me happy talk news all the time. I'm not asking for that, and neither should you. But you need to be asked to stop, but we do need to ask for the news media to stop making drawing conclusions for us. You know, CNN has gone to three-line banners. I mean, breaking every rule of summarizing news into snappy headlines. Now they have three-line banners because I think they're afraid that without three lines to tell you how to think, you might not think the way they want you to. So that's not what we want. I want an America where I get a chance to make my own decisions. You summarize the news for me in a very vanilla way when, it's, when, when it comes time for summarizing. Give me the, the sources and I'll watch it on my phone or my laptop or whatever and I'll make my decision. And that's the way I think we should all a- approach what's going on right now. This is Jake Novak. This has been Novak Now on the Nachum Siegel Network. I hope to speak to you again next week.